Couldn't help myself. If you're watching online, we want to welcome you again. We are going to be sharing communion together, so this is your opportunity to get some bread, get some juice, and, and uh, share with us at the end of the service. Today, we're continuing on in our series. We started last week, Bible Peeps, and it's not about peeping in the Bible. It's about the people of the Bible. And we're picking different people and we're we're looking, examining their life and see what we can learn from their lives that we can apply to our lives, that we can live victorious lives in this topsy-turvy world that we live in. Um, I've asked you to let me know who you would like for me to, to preach on through the summer in this series. And some of you have responded. I thank you. Today is one that really piqued my interest because it's someone who is not often talked about. And I kind of like those characters. Last week we did Eve. You know, not someone that you would typically look at to, to learn something from that you can apply to your life. But there's lots of things in Eve's lives that we can apply to our life. Today, we're going to look at one of what, what I would call one of the Bible's unsung heroes. His name's Jonathan. He is the son, uh, the eldest son of King Saul, the very first king of Israel, and best friends with, with David. The name Jonathan is a combination of two Hebrew words, Jah, or Jo as, as it would be, which comes from the divine name Yahweh, and Natan, which means to give. So when you combine those two together, you get Jonathan. Jonathan means Yahweh has given, gift of God. Nice name, isn't it? To be a gift of God. Jonathan is, is mostly known, though. If I were to come to you and say, how do you know about Jonathan? You would say, oh, he was David's friend. He is a character in David's story. I remember um, when I was at school, my very first best friend, guy that lived just down the road from me, Keith Whiting, went to school together, Keith and I. And, and I remember, I don't know why this, this image is stuck in my mind, the teacher in our religious instruction class, I guess it must, must have been we had in England, uh, had taught about David. And I remember her teaching that, from her perspective, she said, David and Jonathan's friendship was the greatest friendship of any friendship ever. And I can remember Keith and myself walking up the road, my arm draped around his shoulder, his arm around my shoulder, and we were talking, we're just like David and Jonathan. Even though Jonathan's story is mostly remembered as part of David's story, as you'll see, the the account of his life actually begins before David's account. And there's certainly things in there. It's worth a deeper look. Now, the story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 13 all the way through to 31. That's a lot of chapters. So we got a lot to go through today. There's no Cowboys game or anything, is there? No, good. Did you bring a Bible? We got one Bible. Can everybody gather around the lesser Frank? (laughs) Frank the lesser. I'm going to give you a very high-level, big-picture view of the account of Jonathan's life. And then I want to dive in on three things that we discover uh, about Jonathan's character that I really think we can apply to our lives. So let's start with a word of prayer and we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to talk about Jonathan. He really is an unsung hero of the Bible. And Father, as we look at his life, and and like I said, I'm going to cover a lot of material in a short 
period of time, Father, I need you to open up our eyes, open up our hearts to, to hear from you what you would teach us about Jonathan that we can apply to our lives and live our lives in accordance with your will for our lives, Father. Empty me of me, fill me with you, I pray in Jesus' name. So to kind of give you the perspective, Jonathan's, the story of Jonathan takes place about a thousand years before Christ and about 400 years after the conquest of the promised land. Okay, so it's 400 years since Joshua, who was a great warrior. He lived, Jonathan lived during a time of, of extreme upheaval and oppression. The Philistines, it, you know, it, it's the same old story. God had promised the Israelites this land. He said, if you keep your, if you're faithful to me, I'll be faithful with you. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. It's going to go well with you. They didn't really believe that. So they actually went the way that they took on the characteristics of the people who lived in the land that they were taking. Child sacrifices, all kinds of evil. And if you read through Judges, I mean, the most common phrase through the book of Judges is, and the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So all of the good news and everything that had happened when they first captured the promised land is all gone. The Philistines have come back in. They are ruling in the Israelite territory. And the Israelites, for the most part, are hiding. They're scared. It's not going well for them. The people ask for a king. They figure that's our problem. It's not our disobedience to God. We need a king. And God tells them, he says, if you, you can have a king if you want, but I'm your king. I'm your God. But if you want a human king, go for it. But I should let you know right now, <laughs> people aren't that trustworthy. And he will rule over you. He will take things from you. He won't be a good person. You don't want to be ruled by a man. But if that's your choice, and they said, yep, yep, that's what we want. So Saul is selected by God to be the first king of Israel. He's tall. He's taller than anybody else in the nation. He's better looking than anybody else in the nation. I mean, he is a strong, tall warrior of a man and chosen by God. Jonathan, Saul's son, is also a pretty good-looking dude. Now, the first we hear of Don, Jonathan, he kind of drops in the nar- narrative out of the blue. First Samuel chapter 13, all of a sudden, there's a Jonathan. It says, Saul selected 3,000 special troops from the army of Israel and sent the rest of the men home. He took 2,000 of the chosen men with him to Michmash. Actually, that's pronounced Mishmash, and that's where that it's a mishmash. That's where, it, that's where it comes from. Do you say that here? Good. Okay. <laughs> to mishmash and the hill country of Bethel, the other 1,000 went with Saul's son Jonathan to Gibeah in the land of Benjamin. First mention of, of Jonathan. He, he's a warrior in King Saul's army. Now, shortly after this, and this is where I'm going to give you the high-level view, Jonathan makes a name for himself. Him and his armor bearer single-handedly attack a Philistine outpost, and they kill 20 men. We're going to look at that in a minute. And in essence, that begins the Israelite route of the Philistine army. Up until this point, the Israelites are hiding. Now, what Jonathan didn't know is while he was away, his dad called for a fast. Everybody was to fast. 
So Jonathan and his armor bearer attack these people. The Philistines, sorry, the, the Israelites rout the Philistines. And at the end of it, Jonathan eats some honey. Didn't know about the fast. Saul finds out that he ate a honey. It's gone against his fast. Now, what do you think dad wants to do to Jonathan? We got to kill him. You wouldn't expect him that, right? <laughs> we got to kill him. So he wants to kill his son. The other soldiers say, well, we had a great day. We routed the Philistines. What are you talking about? He didn't know. So Saul lets him off. Now, you could say that Jonathan's relationship with his dad was a little strained. Short time later, the prophet Samuel, instructed by the Lord, goes to Saul and tells Saul that God has rejected him as the king of Israel due to, to uh, Saul not following God's orders. So Saul now knows, I'm the king, but I'm no longer God's chosen king. Then the Lord sends Samuel to David. We all know the story of David, and you know he's out back and... and He sees David and tells David and David's family that this man is going to be the new king of Israel. Now, I don't think Saul or anybody else knows about it at this time. Chapter 17 is the account of David and Goliath. Chapter 18, Jonathan and David meet for the first time. And I want to read that to you. Verses 1 to 4. It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them. For Jonathan loved David. For that, from that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. So David's now living in Saul's household. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Now this... That's an act of honor. He's honoring David, but I don't think that that Jonathan at this time knows that David's going to be the future king. But it's very prophetic that the person who's slated to be the future king gives to David his tunic, his robe, his sword, and all of these other things. So Saul and, and David don't know about this at this time, but they do become aware of it. As David kind of rises in power, With the Lord's help, he gets more popular. His military prowess is evident to everybody. Saul becomes increasingly more jealous, more paranoid, and more manic towards David. He knows that David is a threat to his throne, and in a fit of jealousy, he tries to kill him. Jonathan helps David escape. Saul finds out about it, and it doesn't go well for Jonathan an interesting one. First Samuel 20, 30. Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. You stupid son of a whore. He swore at him. Pleasant man. <laughs> Do you think I don't know that you want him to be king in your place? Shaming yourself and your mother? So obviously at this point, Saul knows this David guy is going to be king. And, and he's confused about his son, Jonathan. Jonathan, you know you're supposed to be king. Why are you helping David? Why are you helping him to take your birthright? Jonathan makes a second pact with David. He asks David, please take care of my family in the future. He knows where this is going. So second pact. 
Saul continues his efforts to kill David. Jonathan again helps David to escape. And the next that we hear about Jonathan is in chapter 23. David's in hiding, and Jonathan comes to him. It says this is 1 Samuel 23, 15 through 18. Last time we hear of Jonathan. One day near Horesh, David received news that Saul was on the way to Zip to search for him and kill him. He was really after him. Jonathan went out to find David and encourage him to stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel, and I will be next to you, as my father Saul is well aware. So the two of them renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. Then Jonathan returned home while David stayed at Horesh. The next thing we hear of Jonathan is in chapter 31. He dies in battle with his father and two of his brothers. And the weird thing is, you don't hear of Jonathan again in the Bible. He's not mentioned in the New Testament. He, he, he just is gone. So that's Jonathan in a nutshell. Big, big picture of Jonathan's life. Now I want to crack that nutshell open, if you would. Because there's something in there that, that we can learn from Jonathan that we can apply to our lives. There were three character traits, and if you've got your notes, you can fill in your notes. Three character t- traits that define Jonathan's life. Faithfulness, integrity, and courage. Faithfulness, integrity, and courage. Jonathan was a man of faith. He was faithful, full of faith. Now, what does it mean to be faithful. Well, there's two aspects to this. From a spiritual perspective, the vertical perspective in relationship to the Lord, and then there's another aspect of it, faithfulness in our relationships here, and they are different. Faith from a spiritual perspective means to trust beyond evidence and maybe even beyond understanding. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Just think about that. If you said that to a skeptic, I'm a follower of Jesus. I I have faith in Jesus. I am going to trust beyond evidence and maybe beyond understanding. They're going to say, you're an idiot. Show me the evidence. Give me something I can understand. Hebrews 11.1 says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. What a great definition. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. Now think about that. The reality of what you hope for. How is that demonstrated? It is the evidence of things we cannot see. In other words, if you've got faith to trust in God, the reality of your life will demonstrate, will be the evidence of that faith. People will know that God is real because you live in faith. You demonstrate a trust in God that is tangible. So right out of Jonathan's life, here's this little thing where he goes up to the, to the Philistines. 1 Samuel 14, verses 1 to 15. It says, one day, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. There's a little bit about what Saul does, going down to verse 3. No one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Sene. 
The cliff on the north was in front of Michmash, Mishmash, and the one on the south was in front of Geba. Let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. This is Jonathan's faith in the Lord right here. You can't stop the Lord. The Lord can do it if he chooses. But I like this word, perhaps. Perhaps the Lord will help us. God can do this. Let's go see if he will do this. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. So Jonathan has faith in the Lord. And because of Jonathan's faith in the Lord, the armor bearer has faith in Jonathan's faith in the Lord. This is why faith is so important to us, because people are watching us. They want to see our faith in action. Is there anything to all of this stuff that you talk about this Jesus? Is there anything to it? So this armor bearer is like, I'm with you, man. You got it. You got it going on with the Lord. I'm with you. I'm with you because you are with him. All right, then Jonathan told him, we will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we'll stop and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. I love this proactive faith filled perspective. Let's go and see if the Lord is going to do this for us, as opposed to let's wait and see. So often in our Christian lives, we have a wait and see attitude in our prayers, in our faith. God, is this you? I want to know if it's you, God. I'll wait and see if it's you. And then if you show me it's you, I'll act. Jonathan's here. He's not waiting to see. I'm going to go on up there. And if it's you, God, I'll know because you'll be up there. You'll give me a sign and I'm going to act like you're in it. And if you're not in it, let me know. But I am not going to wait and see. I am going to go and see. When the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, Look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, Come on up here. We'll teach you a lesson. That's the sign Jonathan's looking for. They think they're scaring him. Jonathan's like, yeah, baby. (laughs) Come on, climb right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. So now he's confident, but not in himself. That was the sign, God. I'm trusting that that's the sign. Let's go. So they climbed up using both hands and feet. This is a steep climb. The enemy's up the top. They're climbing up with both hands and feet. I mean, crazy. So they climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer killed those who came behind him. So you got Jonathan's in front, armor-bearer's in back, and they're just going at it. The Lord is with us. We will have victory. The Lord can have victory with few, or the Lord can have victory with many, but it is the Lord. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed those who came behind him. They killed some 20 men in all and their bodies were scattered over about half an acre. Suddenly, panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp 
and in the field, including the outposts and raiding parties. Everybody. Not just this little outpost. Every, something's going on here. And just then, just in case you didn't think God was in it, and just then an earthquake struck. And everyone was terrified. You know, when you have the courage to step out in faith, to act out in faith instead of waiting for God to do something, when you do something in faith for God, it's all around you. God shows up in force. I mean, they climb up there. They kill 20 men. Fear through all the Philistines. They all start running. Then there's an earthquake. And it's like God is saying to Jonathan, Go, man. I got this one for you. Let's go. We got this. Faithfulness is integral to our Christian walk. Hebrews 11.6 says, It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. What does it mean to seek God? Well, I'm going to find him in my Bible. I'm going to find him in prayer. I'm going to find him sitting on the sofa listening to the guy on TV. It means that you live your life in such a way that your life demonstrates your trust in God. And when you live in a manner that you you believe and trust in God, God shows up and affirms your faith. It's like, wow, I found God. Where did you find him? Out on the edge there where it's kind of scary, where the bad guys are. Jonathan sought God and he found him big time. His attitude was, let's go and see if God is in this. Not, let's wait and see if God is in this. So let me ask you a question. Where in your life do you need to see if God is in this thing? Where in your life are you waiting for God to show up? You're waiting to see if God is in this thing. Here's what I believe for each and every one of us. God wants to do a thing in your life. He wants to do a thing in my life. But in order for God to do a thing in your life, you've got to move in faith. You've got to step out first. You've got to act in faith. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. I'm looking for loyal people. I'm looking for faithful people. If I see someone in acting, acting in faith, I will show myself strong in their life. Where does God want to show himself strong in your life? You need to let him. You've got to live as though you believe that the Lord is strong. You can't just say it. You've got to live it. My God is big. I don't have to tell you my God is big. My God's big. It's in my life. My God's big. And the question here too is who is your armor bearer? Who's watching you? Who's looking at you to see your faith so that through your faith they might gain faith? We all have an armor bearer. If you want to see the power of the Lord in your life, you have to act. You have to live acting in the power of the Lord. Now, Jonathan wasn't just faithful to the Lord. There's this horizontal element of faithfulness too. 
He was faithful to his father's soul. Even though he didn't agree with his father, didn't go along with his father's methods, he stayed faithful to his father's soul. He knew that God had called his father to be the king. And he ended up dying on the battlefield next to his father. He was faithful to his friend David. He stood by him. And that's the second faithfulness, aspect of faithfulness. It, it's someone who keeps their word, keeps their promises, is trustworthy in their earthly human relationships. You know, if, if, if you go away on a business trip for three months, you, you don't want to come back to your spouse and they say, I was faithful to you three times. All you want to know is I was faithful to you. I was faithful to you too. A faithful friend is someone you can depend on when the chips are down. They stand by you, are faithful to you. They won't let you down. They honor their vows and their promises even if you don't. Now here's the thing about faith. It's kind of interesting. Faithfulness is a gift of God. But when we exercise that faithfulness, he rewards us. Do you know what he rewards us with? Faith. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. He initiates our faith. He perfects our faith. But if you're lacking in faith, ask the Lord for faith. But then you've got to act and live in that faith for that faith to be perfected. Does that make sense? Yep, you're with me? Second trait, integrity. We live a world in a world that is massively short on integrity. It's not highly valued these days. So let's see it here for, for Jonathan. So this is chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. So this is where David's getting, sorry, Saul's getting a little paranoid. He knows something's going on with this David guy. The people are saying Saul kills his thousands. David kills his ten thousands. And he's like, what is going on? I'm losing the popularity contest here. Saul now urges his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. Now, get the context of this. Remember the situation. Jonathan, is Saul's eldest son, is next in line for the throne of Israel. That's his birthright. It, 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 it's a powerful and lucrative position. You get the first fruits of anything. You see a beautiful woman? She's yours. Wealth, authority, power, you get it all. This is Jonathan's birthright. It's sitting there for him. David is an obstacle to Jonathan getting his birthright. And yet when the opportunity presents itself 
to remove that obstacle, Jonathan chose to do what is right rather than what was advantageous to himself. It was the perfect opportunity. Think about it. He didn't have to do anything. Saul had had told his servants and Jonathan. So Jonathan could have just thought to himself, I'll just sit back, let the servants do it. I don't have to do it. If they kill David, that's kind of sad, but I get to be king. And not only that, Saul is the instigator of it. There's no fingers pointing at Jonathan. Yeah, my dad did that. It's the perfect scenario for Jonathan. And yet when it would have been easier and less risky and much less advantageous to just let it happen, Jonathan chose to do what was right, even though it was to his disadvantage. And that is the heart of integrity. Doing what is right, even when it is contrary to your best interest. Not a lot of that around. Jonathan lived in integrity. He's the heir to the throne. Saul wanted him on the throne. And yet when Saul provided him with a method, Jonathan would have none of it. And and the last words that he speaks to David, we've read them just now, 1 Samuel 23. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be the next, the king of Israel. And I'll be next to you as my father. I'll be next to you as my father Saul is well aware. You know, in our world, getting ahead is valued over integrity. Strength is valued over integrity. We don't care if our leaders compromise their integrity as long as they get the job done. Oh, he's the best man for the economy. He's the best man for this situation. Yeah, he's got six girlfriends, is unfaithful on his wife, would cheat on his taxes and everything. That's nothing. He's the man for the job. What's a little lapse in judgment going to do? From a Christian perspective... Living in integrity means putting what God wants above what we want. Living for his values over our values. We live God's way even if it seems contrary to our earthly well-being. This is a tough one. You know, when I worked in construction, we used to talk about the integrity of a structure. If a structure had integrity, it was strong. It was good. However, if the structure was damaged or or built with substandard materials or or not constructed in the same way, constructed poorly, you know, say the foundation is cracked or it's been undermined, we would say that the structure is compromised. It doesn't have integrity. It's the same with our Christian character. We compromise sometimes. We compromise our integrity, and it's usually the little things that let us down, isn't it? We got it flipped backwards. We got this this attitude that I, I can fudge the little things, but I'll be good in the big things. And Jesus teaches the exact opposite. He says, if you cannot be trusted in the little things, you cannot be trusted in the big things. It's like 
tithing. You know, I'd, I'd give 10% of, of my income. I, I would be obedient to the Lord if I had more income. God's perspective is if you won't tithe on what you've got now, you're certainly not going to tithe when it's more. You're just not going to. You already made up your mind. It's the little things that let us down. The little white lies. You know what they don't know won't hurt them? It's not much. It's just a couple of dollars. Who cares? Integrity is doing what is right, even if it is advantageous and convenient to do what is wrong. And nobody will know. Now, this is a difficult one. Because even the biggest struggle with this one. Paul struggled with it. David, Jonathan's best friend. There's a lot of similarities between David and Jonathan. But David, he struggled with both integrity and faithfulness. Took another man's wife, got her pregnant. Went to great lengths to cover it over. And when he couldn't cover it over, he had the guy killed. And he was called a man after God's own heart. We all stumble. Here's the difference between a person with integrity and a person without integrity. We all stumble. But the person of integrity goes to the Lord when they, struggle, when they stumble. They're honest about it. They confess it. They own up to it. They ask the Lord to help them. I'm, I want to turn away from that God. They accept the Lord's grace and let's go on from here. They seek to live in integrity. But we need God's help to live in integrity. It's a tough one. I'd love to tell you that my life was completely filled with integrity. It's not. Sometimes no one's looking. Teach me to trust you, Lord. Teach me to live your values, not mine. All right, the third trait is courage. Ties them together. What is courage? Courage is the ability to overcome fear and act for right in situations that are dangerous, difficult, and or unpleasant. Courage is not the absence of fear. Fear is absolutely natural to us. God gave us the ability to fear so that we won't go, wonder what lives in this cave. Something in our head says, maybe there's something in the cave that you shouldn't go in there. But courage happens when we allow our faith to overcome our fear. I'm not going to let my fear stop me from doing what God is calling me to do. I'm going to let my trust in God overcome that fear and move on. Do you think that when Jonathan and his armor bearer were at the bottom of that ravine with a cliff up here and, and the Philistines, that there was no fear in them? Maybe not, but I'm sure there was something in the back of, of Jonathan's head that might have just said, hope I got this right. <laughs> I think I got it right. I'm pretty sure God's in this. I'm going. (laughs) The Lord values courage. Hebrews 10.38 says, But my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. 
Jesus is saying, God is saying, I don't like cowardice. I like courage. There's a verse that says, the Lord is a warrior. We are his people. When Jonathan chose to attack that outpost, he acted in faith, and that took courage. Faithfulness and courage usually go hand in hand. Faith is trusting that God can. Courage is acting that faith out and believing that God will. I'm stepping out. I'm trusting God's going to be there. And if God's not there, it's not going to go well. Oh, well, let's step on out. Psalm 118.6 says, The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? That's David. Romans 8.31, Paul, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? That's the mindset that we should have as Christians. And I guess the question really begs to be asked, do you believe that the Lord is for you? Do you really believe that in your heart of hearts? And is that demonstrated in the way you live, in the way you spend your time, in the, in the things that you do, in the way that you spend your money? Do you believe that the Lord is for you? If the answer is yes, have the courage to live for the Lord. Have the integrity to live for the Lord. Be faithful to the Lord. And if the answer is no, not sure if the Lord is with me, what changes do you need to make so that you see that the Lord is with you. He loves you, and He wants to be there for you. Let me close with this. Here's the thing. Like I said, I believe that God wants to do something in your life. He wants to do many some things in your life. But in order for you to see it, you've got to live in faithfulness, demonstrate integrity, and act in courage. Ask God to show himself strong in your life. God, what thing do you want to do in my life? What great adventure do you have for me? Where do I need to get out of my seat, climb up the hill, and take on the enemy and be a little bit scared? What do I need to do to see you strong in my life? Because God is saying, I want to be strong in your life. You know, Jonathan, much like us, he he lived in an era of compromise, cowardice, and unfaithfulness. And yet he was a shining example of what it means to live for the Lord. We need to follow his example, and we need to be an example. I, I believe, you know, in the world that we live in, I believe people are looking for faithfulness, integrity, and courage. I believe our young generation who see a bunch of politicians and corporate crookedness are looking for something that they can depend upon, that they know is true. They're looking for faithfulness. They're looking for integrity. They're looking for courage. They're looking for someone to go ahead of them. They're the armor bearer. And it's like, Dad, neighbor, what? show me something that I can say, that's God. And I want that. I want what you have. That is what God is calling us to do. Faithfulness, integrity, and courage is very attractive. And we need to be attractive. Grasp hold of them and use them. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're going to go to communion now. I'm going to go all the way over here. 
And all the way back there, that's my steps in for the day. Can I have those come forward, please, who are going to distribute the elements of communion? Jesus was a man who acted in faith. He was a man who had integrity and the courage to be obedient. Communion is the time that we remember Christ's sacrifice for us. Do you want more? (laughs) I wanted one. (laughs) Now I lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, Jesus, that's right. Jesus acted in faith, acted in integrity, and acted in courage when he went to the cross for each and every one of us. He asks no less of us. That's what it means to follow Jesus. We do this to remember Jesus. That was his command. Whenever you get together, do this in remembrance of me. The bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. The juice represents the blood of Christ that was broken for us. Jesus was the final sacrifice. Up to this point, they're constantly bringing, going to the temple, going to the priest and saying, I I need forgiveness. Well, did you bring your sacrifice? Did you bring your payment for forgiveness? And Jesus came along and said, that's all done now. I am the sacrifice. Whoever puts their trust in me shall not die. They shall live forever. Do you believe this? I love his words. We invite all to partake in communion. If you have asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, if you've never come to the place where you've asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, do it today. Don't tarry. Have the faithfulness, the integrity, and the courage to step out and say, Jesus, I need you. Please come into my life. Forgive me. I want to be yours. Please take the juice, take the bread, take it back to your seat, and we will share together. Father, we give you thanks for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your willingness to give us your Son, for God so loved the world. He gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. Father, we thank you for the life everlasting. I pray too this morning, Father, as we look at these attributes from Jonathan, faithfulness, integrity, and courage. If there's a place in our lives, Father, where we're lacking those things, I know, I know, The the battle is ongoing and there's always something new that you want to do. We are to be in this battle, Father, against this world and against the forces of darkness. So, Father, give us the courage, I pray, to live in faithfulness, to have integrity, and to act in courage. May we bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. I have just a few announcements.